Every day, we face challenging circumstances that are accompanied by difficult decisions. We have the choice to respond by faith, or we can let doubt dictate our decision-making. And the response we choose determines the type of seed we sow, a seed of fear or a seed of faith. The seed we sow determines the fruit we produce, and the fruit produced reflects the person we are. When we react in our own strength, we plant unhealthy seeds that produce fruits of the sinful nature. Bitterness, misery, worry, and frustration. Harshness, evil, dishonesty, violence, and indulgence. These choices prevent us from becoming the person God created us to be and growing in our relationship with Him. When we choose to trust God, we plant seeds that open our hearts to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We reflect the image of Christ to the world and experience the very nature of God in our lives. Though we do not have the power to produce this good fruit, we do have the choice to plant good seed. A seed of fear or a seed of faith? What seeds will you sow? So the question is this, what seed did you sow this week? What seed will you sow this coming week? Every summer in Portland, Oregon, they have this parade, they have this pageant, they have concerts, they have a race, they have a fair, they have fireworks. It's called the Rose Festival. And it's just, it's absolutely beautiful. It's a century old. It lasts for 14 days. And over 500,000 people attend the Rose Festival. Pretty awesome. Do you think they'd get that kind of response if they had a poison oak festival? <laughs> Would you rather be the Rose Queen or the poison oak queen? Would you rather ride on one of those beautiful floats made of those gorgeous flowers, or would you rather ride on a float that's made entirely of poison oak? Would you rather live in a community known for its bitterness, misery, worry, frustration, harshness, evil, dishonesty, violence, and indulgence, or would you rather live in a community of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit that we see in a person, the fruit we see in a community, is the character of that person. It is the character of that community. So how do we create the better place? How do we create the better person? It's exactly what Paul the Apostle was discussing when he wrote a letter to those followers of Jesus that lived in the first century city of Galatia. And he says it starts with this. Freedom from restraint must be matched by freedom for the right purpose. 
Freedom from restraint must be matched by freedom for the right purpose. In a few weeks, millions of 17 and 18-year-olds are going to leave the restraints of home. They're going to take themselves away from their parental guidance and rules and enter into the freedom of college. And they will find some excitement, but they'll also find some confusion. Because what we learn as we grow is that freedom without a right purpose will lead us back into confinement. And it's one thing to be set free from confinement. It's another one. It's another thing altogether to make the right decision regarding the freedom that we are then handed. So Paul makes it very clear to this church in Galatia. He says, I want you to understand that you're free. You are free from the pagan past that you lived, and you are free from the Mosaic law, from its claims. In fact, this is what he says in Galatians 5.13. For you have been called to live in what? Freedom my brothers and sisters. So we're free. Turn to the person next to you and say, we're free. The question is this, to do what? So there's this church I knew that brought in a new pastor. They voted him in. He came in. After about a year and a half, there was a group of them that didn't like him. In fact, he angered them so much that somehow they actually got into his office and into the boardroom with listening devices in the hopes that they would catch him doing something immoral, illegal, unethical. They couldn't find it, but it still made them mad that, that, that he wasn't the person they thought he should be as their pastor. It became so explosive that the Oregonian newspaper ran a full-page story on what was happening in this church. And part of that was this really big picture of this group standing there, and they look like the most grumpy, evil people I've ever seen in my life. And I know those people. I thought, what happened to you? And there was this listing of, of the things they thought were incorrect within this church. And in essence, if I, if I had to break it down and just distill it, I would just tell you it's basically this. They were saying, we've been in this church a really long time. This guy just showed up. And he's changing it, and we want it back the way it was. Would you like to attend that place? That's Poison Oak Assembly of God is what it is. <laughs> I know of another church that made a moral stance within its community, and it did not go over well with some people who thought they took the wrong stance. One Sunday, they showed up to have their worship service, and standing out front of their church were protesters with big picket signs, and harassment as the people were trying to get in there, harassing them and yelling at them, telling them how unloving they were. In a few moments, because it was such a hot day, because it was a summer day, because it was so humid, in a little while after service started, out came some of the congregants, some of the people, part of the congregation, bringing these folks bottled water bringing them snacks to eat on, and bringing them something to shade them from the intense heat so that they would not have heat stroke. It astonished them. You say, well, that's just kind of like a, a, a great idea. If you want publicity, that's just a, a, a really good publicity stunt. And I, I want to say to you, it wasn't a publicity stunt. It actually was 
part of their moral stance because here's what they believed. They believed that freedom supplied by Jesus is for one purpose, and that purpose is love, no matter who it is and where it is. So that's why Paul wrote these words to the church in Galatia. He says, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love, for the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out, beware of destroying one another. See, the problem with this whole thing of abiding and devouring and, 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 and destroying each other comes from this, this, one, this one part of life that we hang on to, which is simply this. I have my rights. I have my rights. As a follower of Jesus, Jesus wants us to know that we have only one right. And that right is to love our neighbor. That's the only right we have. So he says, don't use your freedom to satisfy. That word satisfy actually is a word that means a starting point. It means a staging point for an expedition. So don't use this freedom that you've received by Jesus when your sins were forgiven and you were disconnected from your evil past, this wonderful freedom that he has given you to just let you enjoy this life in this world. Do not use that as a staging point for you to begin an expedition, for you to have an opportunity to return to the way you used to be before you met Jesus. Don't go back there because it will destroy you. I know people who so strongly believe in the local church and in their local church that they're very proud and they'll, they'll have bumper stickers and, and, and they'll have all sorts of publicity around them. My church is great. Let's go to my church. And then I know people who believe that the church has let, let them down and so they won't claim any church. They'll just float from place to place to place because they don't want to be like those people who eat and devour one another. No matter which you are this morning, you're not off the hook because here's the real issue. Paul says, for in Christ, neither our most conscientious religion nor disregard of religion amounts to anything, for what matters is something far more interior, faith expressed in love. I appreciate the words by Bill Johnson as he talks about, because you see, some of you can say, but I, I, I belong to a church where there's these powerful expressions of God, and they're wonderful. But, but Paul the Apostle has been letting us know, and we looked at this in, in the past, even those expressions sometimes have no merit. And so Bill Johnson says this. He says, gifts of the Spirit rest best on the fruit of the Spirit. That's why the Bible says that faith actually works through love. The word for works or working in Galatians 5, 6 is energeo, from which we get the word energy. In other words, now catch this, faith is energized through love. Say that with me. Faith is energized through love. Faith is energized through love. He then says, gifts are energized by character. Say that. Gifts are energized by character. And without the energy, energy of character flowing through our lives, we won't be able to exercise gifts consistently and with excellence. The anointing of the Spirit from which these gifts flow is given to bless and release the reality of heaven to earth. So let me just put it this way. The evidence of God's power is powerless without the evidence of God's love. So how do we learn to love? God's plan is for His Spirit 
to lead our lives. God's plan is for his Holy Spirit to be our mentor. So last week, I took out the trash without being asked. Thank you. Thank you. I did the laundry without being asked. I cooked breakfast without being asked. Now, before you're too impressed, it's only taken 38 years for me to be trained. Because when we first got married, I had never thought of that. In fact, she would have to ask and ask and ask and ask. In fact, I was so dull that she would have to give me instructions as how to, on how to do those things. So do you think that when you take the trash out from the kitchen, you might want to stop by the bathrooms and get that trash also? Really? I want to let you know that when you make breakfast and you're done, the dishes don't automatically just put themselves in the dishwasher. And when you do the laundry, you just can't throw everything in there together. So when you're doing whites, don't throw my hot pink blouse in there unless you want pink undies. Really? So I'm glad to tell you that after 38 years, I have found the joy of loving Pam. I've also, because of all the time we spent together, I have now been trained. I have been mentored. So Paul the Apostle says this, Galatians 5, 16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives and mentor your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us what? desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. He says, so look, here's the deal. When you came into relationship with Jesus, he put within you his very Spirit. How many of you are followers of Jesus? You put your faith in him. Okay. Inside of you is the Holy Spirit. That spirit is your mentor. That spirit is your guide. And what he will do is he will mentor you. He will mentor us and guide us into how to live life the way that God originally designed us to live. Now, see, that's what the law was supposed to do. The law was intended to show us how God wanted us to live. The problem was that the law wouldn't work because we neither had passion for God or knowledge from God that we understood. And therefore, it just didn't work. So Paul says, it, it didn't work. So, so you've got the Spirit of God now, so you don't need that anymore. Go, woo I'm free. No laws. Yes, no laws. No, 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 no. No laws there. But you still have God. He still walks with you. He himself, his very presence, is now your law. And what he does for us is this. He rings a bell, and then he says. That's how he gets your attention. Yes, Lord, 
would be a good time to turn your phones off. <laughs> Perhaps the Lord's saying that to you right now. See, it's, it's not that we are free to do what we want to do because we are now free. We have this freedom in Jesus. It's because we have now the Spirit within us. The Spirit gives us this passion for God that we didn't have before. This passion that says, I love you. I want to do this thing for you. I've, I've learned the joy of loving you because Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep what I've commanded. You will keep by faith, what I'm telling you to do. And in addition to that, he says, I will give you the knowledge to understand what is around you and how to live out this life. That's why Paul, writing to the church in Colossae, said this, my prayer is this, that you will have full knowledge of God's will. That you'll have a full understanding of what he's doing all the way around you. What he's doing at your workplace, what he's doing in your marriage, what he's doing in your dating life, what he's doing at your university. He will give you knowledge of what is around you right now. Because when he gives you that knowledge, you will bear fruit, he says, in good works. It will happen. And when we see those good works, we will know that you're growing in your knowledge of him. Because I believe this, that to love God with our whole heart basically is to understand his heart. You seek him out and say, what is it you're saying for me? So it works this way. When we first arrive and we begin to live life, we begin to understand that, that we are driven and controlled by our bodies. What we see, what we taste, what we hear, what we feel. We, we, our senses say, here's, here's what's good. We say, oh, that looks good, I want that, or that tastes good, I want that. And we are driven by the control of our bodies, but the problem is that we are never satisfied. I mean, you may have a craving right now for Krispy Kreme, go get it. And guess what happens tomorrow? You want another one. So in this process of beginning to understand that the cravings are not being met, we begin to understand that something's happening down inside of here that goes deeper than our physical body. That we're understanding there's a dimension beyond just what's happening to us physically. I once sat with a, with a girl who, who came in for counseling and she said, I've been having a lot of sexual relationships and I just feel empty. So we talked about, there's so much we do in life that doesn't satisfy. There's something down in here that's crying out to you, isn't there? Yes, you said, I don't know what that is. I said, well, that's your spirit. The spirit is that thing that connects to the divine, that takes us way beyond this dimension right here. And that God has orchestrated for us this connection with him, and that connecting point is what we call the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit begins to talk to us. God is awesome enough. He can communicate to you so that you hear him. In fact, if you've come into a relationship with Jesus, the scripture says you couldn't do that unless God called you and you heard him. And so the Holy Spirit begins to describe to us as he begins to commune with us deep down inside here, he begins to communicate to us that there is one who has come, God himself, who put on flesh to show us how the flesh does not have to override everything else, but how you can follow God and take control of everything around you that doesn't satisfy. But not only that, but that Holy Spirit says that Jesus has come to reshape you, to reform you, so that you become and you begin to do what you were designed to do in the very beginning. And he says it's simply these two things, to love God with your whole heart and your neighbor as yourself. 
That's in its, impl- in its simplicity. That's what his desire is to do. And that process, Paul calls being crucified with Christ. In fact, he describes it this way back in Galatians. He says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but who? Christ lives in me. When we put our faith in Jesus, he gives us his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit works in us so that we have a craving to do the right things. There are those moments that you know. You know you're about to do something, and there's this craving within you that says, no, 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 no. And there's other times you're starting not to do something, and the craving says, no, no, you need to go do this thing. It's the Holy Spirit of God talking to you. He is fully engaged in who you are, endeavoring to show you what you can be and what you can do. But there is this battle, Paul said, where your body keeps saying, no, but I want what I want, and the Spirit of God is saying, no, but this is what God wants, and this is the best thing for you, because in the very beginning, it's God who knows what is good, for God said, here's what I create, and it is good. God knows what is good. We don't necessarily know what's good. But our flesh, our body says, I want that. And the Spirit of God says, no. So we have this warfare. So the question is, how do we win? How we win is simply this. We must let Jesus grow us, not just adorn us. So Pam and I and our kids lived in California for several years, and in our backyard in California, we had a lot of fruit trees. We had cherry trees. We had peach trees. We had a lemon tree. And during the summer, we just had massive amounts of fruit. We couldn't give away all the lemons. It was awesome, much like Erie. (laughs) We just loved all of that fruit. Around December, we would go get another kind of tree. We would go down to a lot and buy an evergreen tree. And we would take it home and we would adorn it and make it beautiful because it's Christmas. Now they lied because it wasn't evergreen. In fact, by January, it was ever brown and ever dead. Now we could keep adorning it with the hopes that when spring came, it would do the same as the trees in my backyard would do. It would sprout new life and grow this wonderful fruit. But alas, it was still ever brown and ever dead. I want us to understand this morning that if it lives, it bears fruit. If if it's dead then it bears death no matter how you adorn it. So I don't care what you label yourself as or what church you belong to and you carry that label. If it does not bear fruit, then you're only adorning something that's already dead. For without Jesus, we are dead, and with Jesus, we bear fruit. So those nine qualities that Paul described, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that we'll be looking at in these next weeks, you can't just say, hey, I want those, I got them. 
I got love, joy, peace. Because sometimes I have patience and then I get on Peach Street. <laughs> and I don't have patience. Sometimes I have joy until I get angry. Then I don't have joy. So it's not a matter of just saying, okay, I, I, I want those things, so I have those things. It is a matter now of following the cravings that the Holy Spirit has placed within us and beginning to direct our lives that place, that way, and acting upon those. That is why Paul wrote these words, the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We have to have faith. And we understand this thing about our faith in Jesus. How many of you have faith in Jesus? Okay. If you have faith in Jesus, the scriptures make it pretty clear that faith without works is... So faith is always proven by its works. And Paul is telling us now that those works are only energized by love because love works. And that's what should be planted in every opportunity we have. So Paul says this, and those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, for if we live in the Spirit, let us also, what? Walk in the Spirit. He says, now look, you're going to crucify the flesh. What does that mean? It simply means this, to repent. To repent means to be going this direction and turning around and heading this direction. To repent means that I'm going the wrong direction and all those things that Paul listed as, as destructive and we, saw, we showed you that list, that stuff, that stuff. He said, I want you to see that as it is and turn around and go the opposite direction. And it's a whole lot easier to let go of something here if something more desirous is that way. So he says, here's what I want you to do. When you know that you should turn around, turn around and face something that's more desirous and, is, and the craving of the Holy Spirit is saying what is most desirous for you is to be in Jesus. Go hang out with Jesus. Be with Jesus. So how do you do that? Well, that, that verb, if we live in the Spirit, is what's called a locative verb. It is a location verb. It means to get in the sphere of Jesus. So you say, you know, I've really tried to have patience and I've really tried to have gentleness and I've really tried to, to, to have those things that are listed there and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Here's the issue. Unless you live within the location of Jesus, you'll never do it. It's not going to happen. So it's not so much trying to say, okay, I'm going to be gentle, 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 I'm going to be gentle. Shut up, I'm trying to be gentle. It's, it doesn't work. Jesus, I just want to be in you. So, so just get me in you because when you're with him, you learn to love him and he mentors you and trains you. You begin to become like him. I spent so much time with my wife now that I'm upset when the bed's not made. Didn't used to be that way. I've taken on her characteristics. I've taken on parts of her that are just, that the way she is, that it just, just changed me because we've spent so much time together. You spend time with Jesus and you will be shaped and formed. So you've got to be in Jesus. That's why I'm so glad you're here because this is the part of the process of being in Jesus. Because you really can't really, really, really be in Jesus if you go to a worship service once every six weeks and, and look at your Bible and read one verse about every two months. It's not going to change you. 
Because you are being shaped by your culture if you're not being shaped by Jesus. It's one or the other. And Paul already described what the culture is like. I have been distressed in the last two weeks. I haven't even said this out loud to anybody. I've been distressed in the last two weeks because I'm watching what's happening in the world and I'm watching what's happening to our government and our political movements and, our, and, and the impasses within Congress. I'm looking at all of that stuff and I'm looking at all the pieces that are not going together and I'm looking at it saying, this place is coming apart, the whole world. And it just drives me to be more into Jesus because when everything starts breaking apart, I want to be there because in Jesus, nothing breaks apart. It comes together. And so if you sit here today and you just say, oh, I just talk to Jesus once in a while and, and I really don't know much about the scriptures and I really don't know much about him. Hey, pardon the way I say this, but get your rear in gear. Get moving because you don't got much time. So let's live this thing out. Let me give you some practice. In your notes, you have this. Live it out. Number one, Jesus has packed his presence into, into worship music, good friends, great worship, powerful scriptures, practical teaching, and strong community. Pack your life with those things. Pack your life with those things. Pack your life with talking to people daily about who Jesus is in your life. Pack your life with spending time with people who are followers of Jesus. Pack your life sharing with your friends who don't know Jesus who Jesus is. Pack your life with worship music. Pack your life with studying who's, who Jesus is. Pack your life with Jesus. Pack your life with Jesus. Pack your life with Jesus. And pack your life life with Jesus. And then maybe if you have time, pack your life with Jesus. You know, we don't become something or someone by accident. We become something or someone because it's on purpose. So number two, write out what characters, character traits you want to possess and ask Jesus to make you that way when you're spending time with him and pray that every day and ask a friend to help you possess those. Say to your friend, I'm really working on this gentleness thing. Can you help me? So that if you see me starting to, to get off track, say, hey, 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 be gentle, be gentle. When my kids were younger and, and, and they got really obnoxious and I, and I thought it was an affront to my authority, when it really was just they were kids without any frontal lobes. <laughs> Every once in a while, Pam would say to me, Scripture says, let your gentleness be seen by all. That includes your kids. Okay. So have some people around you that will work with you on, on that part of this, 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 this fruit that comes out of love, that part. Have somebody work with you on that. You got the Holy Spirit. Do you know that? You can hear the Holy Spirit. So do this. Begin a daily dialogue with God's Spirit. You say, I can talk to the Spirit? <laughs> yeah. He talks to you. I wrote to you for not talking back. So talk to him. Talk to him. Tell him about your temptations and frustrations. This week, I, I was doing that. So Holy Spirit, geez, this is just, this is tough. This is just, look at this. You've got to help me here. I really, I'd really not want to talk to you because I want to go do this thing. But if I'm looking you in the eyes, I can't sin. So here's the deal. And ask him to fill you with his power. Because the scripture says that, that Jesus said that my strength is best seen in weak people. So, God, I'm just really weak here. You've got to help me. I'm just, I'm just I'm, I'm messing up. I'm just not doing this right. And he said, I'm going to empower you. In fact, he said, I'll so empower you that people will look at you and you'll be a witness 
to this world of what God can do with somebody that's really messed up and how he can change them. Number four, say no immediately to everything you know is not God approved. Hey, don't mess with it because if you mess with it, you'll end up doing it. You have the power to walk away. Absolutely have the power to walk away. And if you need help, get the community of faith to help walk you away. And then this happens. When you walk away, you're walking right in with Jesus. And you're walking with Jesus, who then will give you, in that process of changing you, he will give you opportunity and ability to walk into the lives of people who need love. And there, you plant that seed produced by faith. So as you're being shaped, it will not just be about you. All around you, God will give you opportunity. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit is going to give you a craving. He's going to say, plant love right here. Put it right here. Because faith is known by its works, and works are energized by love. So my question for you today is this. What seed will you plant today? So now, in the name of Jesus, I commission you to go from this place and be to this community the expressions of the heart of God. May your sensitivity to his spirit intensify and may you be willing to have him shape you and as he shapes you, may you see those around you that also need to know his love and may you have the courage and the passion to plant that seed in those lives. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.